Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, we made it. We made it? This is it. What's it? Our last piece of 2019 draft content. You're dreaming if you think we're not talking about this all summer. And in true Winged Wheel podcast fashion, we are recording this early, and so this is going to be another time travel episode, and without Evan. Early and without Evan, although it's 10.30 p.m. on a Tuesday, Ryan. Nothing feels early about this. That's generally early for us, I think, right? That's earlier than we finished last episode. Over how the last week of my life has been, I don't know what day or night is, what day of the week it is. I'm not even sure if I've changed my clothes in about since Friday. So I just keep twitching and talking about draft equity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm scaring my wife just three in the morning. It's quiet. I'm out cold. Then I just pop up like the Undertaker yelling, more insider! <laughs> we... Um, we had an unimaginable amount of fun doing this, and we actually had so much fun that we today um, basically booked our tickets to the 2020 draft in Montreal. So we well, got tired of watching from afar, and so we'll be in the thick of it. Yep. I don't know if we'll get media credentials. I don't even know if we'll get tickets to get into the arena, but we're going to be in Montreal <laughs> for it. Our aim is to get both of those. I Actually, I, one or the other, because it'd be silly to have both. Ideally. Yeah. Um. So, if you think that it's going to be scaled down for next year, <laughs> no. We don't learn our lesson. And as you're going to hear um, towards the end of our interview this episode, um, we might have to talk about the 2020 draft more than we talked about the 2019. Enjoy. <laughs> the, the benefits of the Red Wings being bad. These are silver linings, left, right, and center. Uh, on this episode, this is something that we had planned since uh, we first had Scott Wheeler on. Um, it was obviously such a fun interview to do, and Scott, you can see his passion for, um, well, I mean, his work is actually his work, um, but he was excited to come back on and talk about the uh, Red Wings draft. We planned it before, and then we were laughing during the draft, because I was like, well... You're going to have lots to talk about. Uh, so Scott very graciously took time out of his uh, very busy night um, to uh, chat with us about the draft overall, the Red Wings, his thoughts, his feelings, uh, some winners, some losers, uh, some sleepers, that kind of thing. Um, the level of insight that we're lucky to have on here. So uh, enjoy our second ever interview and one or second of many to come with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast, and welcome back to Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Scott, thank you so much for joining us again, and congratulations on making it through the NHL draft. <laughs> I appreciate that. I was just joking with a few people today who were asking me how Vancouver was, and I said I was there for five days, and I went into it saying, here we go, five days on the road, I'm going to get some time in one of the most beautiful cities on the planet. And then five days later, I'm flying back and I'm like, holy shit, I basically <laughs> lived in the hotel in the arena and ate hotel meals and like didn't even have a single nice dinner or, or see the waterfront. So that was my draft experience. Somewhere there's a Vancouver tourist minister just rubbing their temples going, oh, God. <laughs> and they have no Uber or Lyft there. So the cab situation is just a nightmare as well. And well, good thing, thing it's a small city. Just, yeah, good thing. <laughs> 
Actually, Ryan, I forgot to ask you. We just booked our, our our stay for Montreal next year. Please tell me we're walking distance from the arena. Oh yeah, we're a stone's throw. Ah, uh, perfect. Yeah, I'm not sure what the Uber situation like is there. <laughs> oh, they definitely have Uber and Lyft there. Montreal is going to be great for the draft. It's oh. an awesome city. Whether or not we're credentialed for that, we are going. Like we already booked our our place to stay. They announced yeah, Montreal, nice. and we yeah. I actually kind of want to go there now just to stick out a spot. <laughs> like I mean, that'll be a party. <laughs> I mean, I'm there in two weeks, but. For a, for a, I, for everyone listening, he's there for a ball hockey tournament. I just want to I put respect that. It. It's nationals. We won provincials. This isn't nothing, Ryan. Stop demeaning me. <laughs> you have a friend in Scott, not in me, and I'll be honest about that. <laughs> so, Scott, before you take the time off, uh, we are uh, happy that you're back. We want to hammer you um, and get some outside voices on uh, the draft as a whole, and of course, what the Red Wings did. Um, we expected that we would have a lot to chat about when we planned this a couple months back, but we didn't know that it would be such a colorful conversation. Uh, so let's just dive right into it. More at Cider at six overall. Um, walk us through your reaction, how that kind of played into what your predictions and rankings were and, and your assessment of the pick. Yeah, so I was always heading into the draft. This kind of began a, a, about a week before the combine, but I been told by several people within the NHL that Snyder was going to be the one surprise, that he was basically guaranteed to be a top 15 pick at that time. And I had always envisioned him as kind of a late 20s guy on my board. He was kind of in the early 30s, late 20s on my board for most of the season. Um, I could listen to arguments that had him as an early 20s guy, maybe even that 19, sort of 18 range. Um and then I knew that it was going to get interesting because the, this draft was so deep in terms of its high-end forwards that you were just kind of waiting for that one team that said, we need a defenseman in our system to to kind of throw things out of whack. Um, so I, I kind of knew for, throughout this sort of draft process leading up that guys like Victor Soderstrom and Mort Sider um, and even a Philip Broberg were going to go higher than I probably had them. But I was still, quite frankly, very surprised surprised that cider and he was also very surprised that cider went sixth overall um i know that vancouver was interested in him at 10 so there's an argument to be made that uh, if you do trade back or at least trade back further than 10 then you might not get your guy but um i was still honestly very surprised that cider went at number six and in terms of the player i think he's going to be a good nhl player uh, I think if you're banking on him to be a number one defenseman, that you're going to be very disappointed in what he becomes. Uh, he certainly obviously has the length and, and decent touch with his stick and his stick handling ability to, to kind of escape from trouble sometimes when he needs to. He's an above average skater. I wouldn't say he's a very great skater, um, but he just doesn't have that dynamic element that you're looking for, or at least I would be looking for out of a defenseman at sixth overall, like a Bowen Byram does. So, I think ultimately you're looking at a guy who's probably a second pairing defenseman and can make an impact on your roster. But is that really the swing you want to take with a pick as valuable as number six? And I think that's ultimately probably the cost benefit analysis that the Red Wings sort of made internally and ultimately decided that it was worth it to get the kind of safe, long um, defenseman who can penalty kill, who also has at least mediocre to, to maybe slightly above average offensive tools. So We'll see how he pans out, but uh, the talk of him being a number one power play guy, I think, is is way ahead of ourselves here. I don't think that's going to happen. He he maybe becomes a number two guy if he if his shot can continue to improve, and that 
becomes a little bit of a presence for him. But ultimately, I think what you're getting is a second pairing guy at even strength who can also penalty kill and maybe play some tougher minutes at even strength. And that's a fine player, but not the guy I would have taken. And then it kind of created that ripple effect that we all expected, where suddenly you were having some really good forwards fall. So let's say that back in April, uh, we were singing Scott Wheeler's praises, and you were the one who came back as the Red Wings GM to save this team. Uh, the first <laughs> round uh, played out as it did for the first five picks, um, and you were picking six overall for Detroit. What would your pick have been? Or just in case this is in your playbook, would you have tried to have traded up or back from there? Uh, let's t- Actually, let's take that last one off the board because let's say that we, it wasn't possible to trade back. Uh, okay, so my pick there would have been Dylan Cousins, and I probably wouldn't have given it too too much thought. Um, at, at that point, Dylan Cousins is by far my best player available. I had a tier from three to five of Cousins, Byram, and Turcott for the back, back half of the season. The two of those players were gone, and one of them wasn't. So really, I've got one standalone player in my sort of tier of players that I would have considered in the top five or six. And Dylan Cousins, who ultimately went a pick later, would have been my player. I think he's got a chance to be a number one center. If he's not going to be a number one center, he's going to be a number two center, which is obviously quite likely considering he went to Buffalo. And we all know that he's not going to play ahead of Jack Eichel. But I think if you have Jack Eichel as your number one center and Dylan Cousins as your number two center, that's some serious depth and a lot to be proud of. And I think both of those players offer a different element. Both of them are exceptional skaters. Cousins for a kid who's six foot three, six foot four, is just an unbelievable skater. Um, I, I'd like to see him be a little bit more net driven, but I think you've really got a player there who can score 65, 70 points on an annual basis. And to me, that has more value than a player who uh, is going to be a steady second pairing guy. So uh, outside of uh, anyone in the top five and then Dylan Cousins at seven, uh, who do you feel got the best value in terms of uh, a home run swing at their pick that really shouldn't have fallen to them? Ooh, I think there were a few. There were four forwards that went consecutively uh, after the, the Cam York selection. So you had Cole Caulfield going 15, Alex Newhook going 16. I believe Peyton Krebs went 17 to Vegas. Yeah, he did. Um, so those three, those three picks there – uh, really stood out for me. Even Matt Boldy to, to the Wild, I thought, was a good pick. But uh, I think ultimately we'll look back on this draft in a few years' time, a lot like we looked back on the draft where the reverse happened and some defensemen fell and we had players like Charlie McAvoy going 17th overall. I think we'll look back at a Krebs pick or a Caulfield pick or even an Alex Newhook pick to Colorado. Uh, and those three players in particular, I think, have a chance to be really, really impact guys. And I'm talking... Uh, sort of definitely top six, maybe borderline top line forwards. And I think Cole's going to be one of the better power play threats in the league from his spot. So there's a lot to like in those three players. And I think anytime you can get really high end impact players, borderline all-star level projections, uh, that that's a huge boost for your team, especially in the late teens. Now, referring to those three players specifically, when you look at how the draft broke down, Outside of Jack Hughes and Alex Turcott, there wasn't a sub six foot forward taken before Cole Caulfield at fifteen, and then you had Caulfield, Newhook, and Peyton Krebs is exactly six feet tall. Do you think there's still that misconception in the NHL that size matters that much, or do you think this is just the St. Louis effect from how the playoffs went? Yeah, you know what? It's heading into the draft. I would have said that we were a lot further ahead than maybe we actually are, and. 
drafts in recent years have trended in that direction where teams have shown a willingness and a preparedness to take the smaller player. And I think teams have begun to realize that mistakes happen when you don't take a Sebastian Aho or an Alex DeBrincat, those, those types, if you will, uh, or Quinn Hughes, even who I felt slipped considerably further than he should should have his teams had the notion that you can't get a number one defenseman if he's not sort of six foot six foot one six foot two six foot three um and and then that trend this year kind of sort of came to a halt if you will a lot of those guys who slipped even a bobby brink who ultimately slipped into the early second round is a player who i absolutely adore um i had him 14th on my board and and to see him land in the early 30s really did surprise me i did think that he was going to fall lower than i had him on my board and was probably going to be a sort of early 20s guy but i really didn't think he was going to be an early 30s guy and just up and down this draft we saw it again and again with players that fell players like maxim tykovic who i really like so um yeah maybe we're overstating how 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 sort of progressive some of these teams are and uh nick robertson who the leafs plucked yeah at 53rd fell further than i expected he would so up and down the draft there were a lot of names of smaller guys who i had pretty high on my board who slipped and um maybe that speaks to an overcorrection to what they saw out of a team like st louis in the final a team that was built primarily at least at the very least with a back end of guys that are all sort of six foot three and up um so i i don't i don't know what the solution is you certainly need size and when when size is available and size has talent you go after it but i, I tell this to people all the time when they're talking about teams overcorrecting and drafting too many small players uh and my argument is normally that if you're big and you're talented there's no reason you shouldn't be a top 20 top 25 pick so if you're picking a guy in the fourth or fifth round because he's big and you think he's talented you're probably wrong in your analysis of where he's at so uh, my opinion is that teams particularly in those later rounds need to swing on those smaller players with a lot of upside and uh, I don't think we're quite there yet uh, so going a little bit on what Brad was talking about in being a copycat league, um, and this will be our last question about the first round before we dive into the meat of it. Uh, do you think Detroit's pick of Moritz Sider set off an avalanche of, uh, maybe panic picks to take defensemen? You know, uh, Broberg went at eight, Soderstrom went at 11, uh, Cam York, well, Cam York went around where he should have gone, I, I think. Um, or are these, mm-hmm. uh, do you, do you just see them as, um, annual late risers in terms of, uh, defensive stock? Well, I think it was honestly just teams honing in on their guy and and then kind of getting those blinders that we often see on draft day where suddenly a Matt Barzell is being picked in the middle of the round and you're thinking to yourself, how does this possibly happen with 31 people who've been hired to be general managers of NHL teams? But it happens often and sometimes teams just go into the draft saying, if this guy's available, we're going to pick him and then they can ignore or some of the other guys that may fall, and then suddenly you've got a sort of cascading effect that happens. So uh, I think the reverse happened with some of the defensemen this year, and, and teams just really liked a guy like Victor Soderstrom. I know that if Arizona didn't pick Victor Soderstrom at number 11, that we may not have seen Spencer Knight go to Florida because the Florida Panthers really, really liked Soderstrom. Um, and then even Spencer Knight going as high as he did, I thought the earliest that Spencer Knight was going to go was that Colorado pick at 16. Uh, so even Knight going as high as he did kind of also began to push some of those forwards down. And um, honestly, I think that's the wrong play for some of those teams. I think some of those teams will will live to regret just not taking some of those really talented forwards that were available. 
So on that positive note, (laughs) (laughs) let's uh, jump into the second round now where Detroit had three picks. Anti Mm -hmm. Tuomisto, Robert Master Simone, and Albert Johansson. What do you make of that crop of players where they were picked for Detroit? Well, Tuomisto is a kid who's really interesting. I actually wrote about him when I did my 10 sleepers for the draft as a kid who I felt was going to fall and someone who could have real value in the late rounds. And ultimately, I think he was another kind of one of those picks where it was, holy shit, this guy is a six foot four defenseman and he's not horrible. So we have to take him. And um, that, that that isn't necessarily a bad play at that point. I wouldn't say that taking Tuomisto at what was he, 40? 40- 35 35 um is is a horrible play he certainly wouldn't have been my my sort of option at that point on my board but uh tuomisto is a good player he has again he's a lot like cider in that he doesn't have any skills that really wow you offensively but he's a mature defender for his age um his footwork needs more more work than ciders does ciders a better skater given their given their heights and their weights um but tuomisto is a kid who has some good touch with the puck can make decent number of plays in a game. Uh, we'll never really take over a game, but you're hoping obviously that that size and that length gives you an advantage as the league potentially gets smaller. And he certainly has at least enough talent to become an NHL player. So I didn't hate that pick. It was definitely a bit, a bit rich for me, but I didn't hate it. And then uh, I love the master of some bone pick. He, uh, of all of the picks for Detroit, that, that was my sort of, one home run, if you will. He's a kid who I had in the sort of late twenties, early thirties on my board all season. I really like his creativity. He makes a lot of high end plays. He's crafty with the puck. He'll surprise you with some of his playmaking ability. He can still shoot and finish. So I think in time, there's a lot to like about master Simone. And then Albert Johansson's a funny one because I actually had him ranked at exactly 60. So he's one of the handful of players who went exactly where I had him projected. Um, and again, he he wasn't my best player available at that pick, but that's definitely a defendable pick. So I, I think out of those three guys, you can't really complain. Tuomisto was probably the richest in terms of how high he went, but uh, Robert and Albert are are good players, and and Johansson's a player who I think has a chance to be a second pairing option, and if not, probably a decent third pairing option and master Simone, someone who I think if all goes well for him could be, be a second line forward. And that would be a huge boost in the second round. So uh, just to to step aside here, Scott, I hope you know uh, that the Red Wings first two picks are directly a result of both you and your colleague, uh, Sunaya Sapergi. She's the one who wrote that fantastic article about cider. (laughs) She did. Yeah. And you wrote about Tuomisto and both of those guys were taken way ahead of where people projected them. So thank you. (laughs) <laughs> on behalf of the yeah, Red you're Wings. welcome. Um, and, you know, maybe down the line, it's a genuine thank you. Uh, the The fourth round uh, represented two interesting picks. Or, sorry, the third round represented uh, an exciting pick for Detroit uh, in Alban Greva, which um, is someone that we talked about on the show um, and kind of mocked to Detroit, even as high as the third round, I believe it was. We, had a, we considered him at 35 when we were doing some projections. Yeah, and so uh, he's been... Uh, talked about like a Marshawn light, a Marshawn very light, or even uh, a more direct comparable, uh, a very similar to Tyler Bertuzzi on Detroit. What do you make of that pick? Uh, I, again, I don't mind that pick. I think that's a, a worthwhile pick at that slot. Albin is a player who 
Um, I wouldn't compare him to Marshawn. He certainly has some snarl to his game and he gets involved in a lot of stuff after the whistle. And uh, he's one of those players who will give opposing players kind of a cheeky smile and just stand right next to them and wait to get punched in the face. Um, So he's he's a really interesting player. He's a pesky kind of in your face kind of player in a league and in a country that doesn't tend to produce players like that. Um, but his game, I, I would not compare to to someone like a Marchand or even like a Bertuzzi, because the one thing with Albin that I've been waiting for him to do a lot more of, because he's quite effective at it when he does do it, is to drop his shoulder and use the power that he has and the strength that he has uh, to, to sort of drive the net. He's not an overtly creative player, so you're looking at a kid who is at his best when he's playing a very linear game and just dropping his shoulder and driving the net and taking the puck to the net and kind of crashing and banging and trying to finish off plays in front. And he's a complimentary player on his line, so he's never going to be the driver on his line. But with the right line mates who can get them the puck, he can kind of play that transition game and and create shots and chances towards the net. But I often find that he actually, despite being a very physical and, and powerful player, doesn't do that a lot, and he tends to stop up. And maybe some of that was just hesitancy once he got to the SHL this season and he didn't really feel like he was confident enough to drop a shoulder on some pro players and and really drive but I think if that element of his game can translate the way it did at the super elite level where kids were basically afraid of him when he would drive the net um, then then he has a chance to be a really good kind of third line spark plug kind of guy at the next level very much like a Carl Grunstrom has a chance to do in Los Angeles so uh, they're two very similar players they play the same way they both throw a lot of pucks on net um, and I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to seeing what Grave does because he's a kid who I think once he gets 10 more pounds could be a lot to handle Now uh, outside of the behemoths or the monsters that Detroit was seemed to uh to be accustomed to taking in this draft class. Uh, they did take two notable, very small players standing at five foot nine, about 145, 150. Uh, Ethan Phillips in the fourth round at 97th overall, um, centerman out of Sioux Falls. And then uh, out of the same town that Datsu came from, Kirill Chuchev in the as uh, in one of their seventh round picks, 190th. Um, how do these guys fit into that uh, home run swing, small guy with talent, um, Maybe you should just take your chance on him and worry about size later. Kind of uh, archetype that has come up. Yeah, I, th- I think Tutiev is is probably the more interesting of those two players in terms of wh- at least in terms of where he was taken. Um, I would have been fine with Ethan Phillips as a later pick, but I felt like where he was taken was a bit too high. Um, Tutiev is just one of one of those kids who just flat out makes plays and, and he gets pushed around a lot and he's an overager and we know all these things about him but uh, the numbers that he put up even as a slight overager he was only an overager by about a month uh, were, were really quite significant in the NHL for, for a player who's 18 years old to, to be a point per game option and make the number of plays he did and I really liked his playoff run even though I believe his numbers took a bit of a dip in the playoffs if I recall correctly um so uh, he's an interesting player he's the kind of player that in the sixth seventh round you just say let's just take a swing on this guy and get him in with our development team and see if we can get him a little bit stronger and keep him on the perimeter a little bit less and see if he can sort of take that craftiness and drive the center lane a little bit more and we'll try to teach him to use his skills in different ways to sort of translate to the pro game on the smaller ice sheet so he's really interesting Phillips would would qualify in the same way I just felt like there was a little bit more of an opportunity cost lost by taking him in the 
in the fourth round there. So uh, he'll be interesting. I mean, he's, he's also doesn't have the raw sort of upside that a player like Kirill does. I don't think, especially because he played center and we, he's going to, he's absolutely without question going to have to make the switch at Boston university to become a winger. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing where he takes it, but he's a kid who gets knocked around a lot at center um, plays a, a kind of smart, fast, smart game is decent in his own zone as well, despite, despite being on the smaller side. So he's good off the puck and with his stick to create lifts and all of those things. But I'm just not sure he has the kind of boomer bust upside that, that is required to be uh, a sort of home run pick. So I feel like he could end up being one of those tweeners that every team ends up with over the years where he becomes potentially a very good AHL or ECHL player, but doesn't quite have the talent necessary necessarily to sort of be a top nine player at the next level. And I, I don't think he's ever going to be a fourth line guy either. So he could end up in kind of a weird situation, I think. And uh, of the remaining three skaters that we haven't talked about, uh, Cooper Moore, Elmer Soderblom, and Gustav Berglund, uh, are there any gems in there or were there any particularly um, off picks in one direction or the other in terms of value um, where uh, where the Red Wings took them? Um, no, I, I don't think there's any real gems in there per se. Moore is a kid who put up, uh, honestly, uninspiring numbers in given the, the high school circuit that he played in. Um, we'll see where he takes it and how far that will, that progression will go. I think they just saw him as a kid who can skate well and said, let's take a chance. He's pretty raw and we'll see what happens. But I wasn't particularly high on him. I haven't honestly watched a ton of him play. I've only seen a couple of his games. Um, but in the, the viewings that I did have, I basically left kind of thinking meh. So him in the fifth round was a bit rich for me. Um, Berglund, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've always had mixed feelings about Berglund. He's a kid who, A, has played in, in kind of weird leagues up, up over the years. The the J18 Al Svenskin league that he played in is a bit of a tweener league, so it's hard to get a gauge on the players that are there. Uh, he can really shoot the puck. That's the one thing about Berglund that has always jumped out at me. He's a very strong kid for a defenseman of his age, and that shows in the way that he gets the puck off. It's it's one of those things where if he misses the net and it hits the boards, you really hear it when you're watching it on TV or on streaming or even if you're in the rink. So um, he, I don't know. We'll see. He he has never really played at the highest levels for his age group. He's always been a kid who is physically developed and could really shoot, but never really wowed you in any way and and that was true when he played in super elite this this year so uh we'll see how far he takes it and then who was the third i'm i'm forgetting the the third guy that they took there was it soderblom yeah six foot six 220 elmer yep. soderblom yep so soderblom's an interesting player um i believe he's like borderline six foot seven i remember someone mentioning to me that he was like the biggest kid in in the junior ranks in sweden this year so at the very least that's interesting um, but he's a kid who's, who really doesn't have a lot of talent. I've watched him play a handful of times with that for Lunda team. Um, uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's not a, mo- a lot there. Again, he's a kid who can really shoot it. A lot of those big kids can. He might, with that size, be able to translate it. He, he kind of reminds me of a kid like Justin Brazo, who was passed up twice in the draft before really finding his game in the OHL this season and, and finishing second in the league and scoring all of a sudden. Um, just a kid whose who's raw tools are enough to get you excited. Anytime you've got a forward who's six foot seven and over 
200 pounds at that age. It's pretty exciting. I don't remember his birthday, but I have a feeling he, if I'm not corrected, is like a July or an August birthday, which doesn't hurt, which means he hasn't even turned 18 yet. Um, so there's, yeah, there's at least some qualities there at that point in the draft. If you're thinking sixth or seventh round, I mean, you can't really fault any team for that kind of a pick, but, uh, he was not really on my radar this season and I didn't pay a ton of attention to him quite honestly. Yeah. He's an early July birthday. So yeah, goodness help anyone in front of him if he grows anymore. Um, (laughs) and, uh, not that we, like I had no eyes on this guy before, but just to talk about him, the Red Wings last pick Carter Guylander, uh, at a Sherwood park in the AJHL. Is this just their requisite goalie of the draft? Yeah, that's exactly it. And again, he wouldn't have been my goalie there. I absolutely adore Dustin Wolf who went, I believe 214th to Calgary, uh, Wolf was my second ranked goalie, a kid who's generously listed at six foot, but everybody's aware is really five foot 11. And that's going to be his biggest challenge because there's only a handful of goalies in the NHL these days that are five foot 11 or six feet tall. Um, but with that said, I think he has the chance to be one of those guys and be like a Euroslav Halak. And uh, I, I definitely would have pounced on Dustin Wolf. Wolf at that point in the draft, he played never ever at this year and kind of took the mantle from Carter Hart and put up equally impressive numbers. So uh, I was surprised when he fell as far as he did. And then uh, Guy Lander's interesting. I only peripherally watched the AJHL this season because there were really only three or four players in the league that had any interest or, or any chance to be considered in my top 100. And if you don't have a shot to be in my top 100, I tend not to spend too much time watching you because there's 200 other players to watch. So Guy Lander's a kid who I've only seen play a couple of times, but by all accounts was really good for that Sherwood Park team. The AJHL is a league that has tend to improve over the last few years. We're now regularly getting players. I think back to last year with Jacob Bernard Docker, um, we're regularly getting sort of decent to borderline high end players come out of the league. Instead of going to the BCHL, they can stay a little bit closer to home and play their minor midget league years in AAA and then kind of make the jump to the AJHL if, if the school route is their preferred option. And, uh, uh again, Guy Lander's a kid who I believe is really big. He's, I, if I remember correctly, is six foot four or six foot five. So, at that point, you, you send him off to the NCAA and you wait three or four seasons and maybe you have something. All right, so now that we've covered everybody that the Red Wings picked, what would be your overall grade for Detroit this draft? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I I don't want to be too blunt here. I'm the Red Wing <laughs> fan podcast. No, but, no, that's what um, we do. <laughs> you're prob- for me, honestly, you're probably looking at a C, maybe a C plus, more likely a C. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with them. Again, I think those, those four picks in that sort of second, third, fourth round are all fine picks. None of them really knocked me out of the park except for maybe Mastro Simone. Um, so you you could end up with two, two NHL, maybe th- if you're very lucky, three NHL players out of this draft. But I think that the opportunity cost that you lost by taking Cider instead of taking a kid like Dylan Cousins or even a number of the other high-end forwards. I mean, if they had have taken uh, Trevor Zegras there or uh, Matt Boldy there or Cole Caulfield there, I, I would have defended those picks much more strongly than I would defend the Cider pick. So the Cider pick really was, I think, the big opportunity in the draft. And I think they had a chance to get someone who could really be a not a transformative player because unless you're Jack Hughes or Capo Caco, those kind of players just weren't available in the draft but a 
really high-end impact borderline all-star level projection player especially in some of those forwards and I just don't see that insider so I think that drags the class down a little bit more um again guys like Soderblom in the later rounds I think wouldn't have been my players either but you can't really knock them and then guys like Albin and Albert and uh, Tuomisto those are fine picks. So uh, I think it was really the cider pick that dragged it down and maybe the Master Simone pick that that kind of propped it back up and avoided it being maybe like a C minus or a D plus for me. I just I think given the number of picks they had, they had a chance to do something really special this year and they didn't fall flat, but they didn't certainly didn't knock it out of the park. Uh, so for any fans who forget, um, Scott's also the one who came on the show before and uh, spoke the world of Joe Valeno. So before you go looking for his address, remember, he's a <laughs> I loved, I absolutely adored Detroit's draft a year ago. I thought all of the picks from Zadina, Valeno, Berggren, McIsaac, all four of those top picks in that draft. I think that was the order of those four picks. All yep. four of those top picks a, a year ago were were huge value, and Valeno was my favorite pick of the first round in that draft for sure. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a, a very heavily leading question here. Uh, agree or disagree? You have a guy at pick six who's ranked well outside of pick six, and you don't have a trade back. The correct move in your mind is to not take that player. Agree or disagree? Ooh, uh, yes, the correct... P- if he's not if he's not ranked there, the correct play is to not take him. Would be my opinion. Okay, that, that's it's not going to be hard for people to figure out what we were talking about there. But there are some genuinely, uh, you know, conflicting opinions there, and I think they're both very fair arguments. For in all transparency, to no one's surprise, I, I do agree with you, Scott, and I think a lot of people do. But there's also the notion that if Cider is your guy and you're confident that he's at the top of your draft board then you have to take him. You have to find a way to take him. And if you lose yeah, some value, I mean, yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. If, if that's the scenario, if he's your, if he truly is your clear cut number one guy, uh, then you take him. I, I, my question to the Red Wing staff would be, were you destined on take, was your mindset heading into it that you wanted to take a defenseman and is he your number one defenseman or is he truly your number one player? And I think those are two different answers. And if he's your number one player, I would probably ask a follow-up question about why he's your number one player over some of those forwards and what you truly see his upside as. And if he's your number one defenseman and you, your mindset was just to take a defenseman, then I think that that is 99 out of 100 times the wrong play. Now, chatting about the rest of the league, uh, uh, and before it gets a little bit too melancholy here for Red Wings fans, uh, who do you think made out like bandits overall over the first couple rounds or maybe the entire draft? Who do you think the big winners are? Oh, I've made this clear already, I, I, but it's Carolina. It's absolutely Carolina. I I have never... Uh, I, uh, I, I'm stumbling over my words here because I'm so overwhelmed by what they did. <laughs> um, no, I absolutely loved what Carolina did. They drafted three of the best players available on my board, which is uh, like unheard of for me. Um, the, the Leafs also drafted two BPAs on my board with their with only six picks. So that I, I was really impressed by that. But Carolina, every single pick that they made, I was impressed by. And they had 11 picks. So you do the math. It's It was 
the greatest performance relative to my board that I've ever seen at the draft. I thought Carolina from top to bottom just absolutely slaughtered it. Pyotr Kachetkov was a pick who probably wouldn't have been my pick as uh, at that slot, but was one of the top-ranked goalies available on my board. And then you've got Nick Suzuki, you've got Jamison Rees, you've got Patrick Puistola at 73, and Puistola is a kid who I had ranked in my early 20s all season long and I think could be a true star if he puts it all together. So that at 73 is borderline one of my favorite picks of the draft. You've got Anthony Honk at 10 picks later, who is an extremely controversial player, but one of the most talented players in the draft at 8. You've got Dom Fensori, a five foot seven defenseman who I love. Tuka Tiexola, Kirill Slepitz, Blake Murray, but there, even Massimo Rizzo, who I believe they took in the seventh round. There was not a single pick on their board that I scratched my head about. So I think you could emerge from that draft class for eleven picks with four or five players if all goes well, and uh, that would be really transformative. And then Philadelphia, I think, by just by virtue of getting Bobby Brink as late as they did, and same with. Uh, LA getting Turcotte and Fajamo and Kaliev where they did. I thought there was huge value there. So um, LA, yeah, the LA did really well. Hell, Vegas did well. Vegas always seems to do well. And it started with that first round pick of Krebs, but it kind of continued throughout with Pavel Dorofeyev, who I had 15th on my board. They got him in the third round. Um, so there, there were a few drafts that really stood out to me, but I think Vegas, Toronto, LA, uh, and Car- certainly Carolina were probably the three or four that I would highlight. All right, and last specific draft-related question here. Um, outside of the first two rounds, because I think that's it's pretty easy to, to identify good picks there, what is your favorite pick? And you might have just rattled that guy off with uh, those teams. Uh, yeah, Puistola was up there, certainly. Um, I, I was really... Uh, sort of pleasantly surprised that uh, Tampa Bay, based off how they've drafted in recent history, took Maxim Kajkovic, who I mentioned earlier in the show here. He's a kid who I absolutely adore. He played on one of the worst junior hockey teams I've ever watched in the CHL in St. John this year uh, <laughs> and basically was a one-man show and didn't put up huge numbers, but I, I could never possibly blame him for that. And I see elite, borderline elite at least, tools offensively. So Kajkovic was a pick who I really liked to, to Tampa Bay in the middle of the draft there. Puistola to Carolina. Uh, Dorofeev, who I also mentioned going to uh, Vegas, and then Bobby Brink for me. I I, I really do think Bobby Brink's going to be a star. So to get him in the early first round for Philadelphia was was a huge, huge, huge home run pick for me. I think he could spend two or three years in college and then really become a, a 65, 70, 70 point player who can drive a line offensively, even though he's five foot eight. And for any Red Wings fans who are unaware, uh, Philadelphia traded up to pick thirty four specifically to get, grab Bobby Brink before Detroit could one pick later. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brink instead of Tuomisto would have uh, honestly changed my opinion over the Red Wings draft as well. You wouldn't be getting a C grade at that point. Well, it is what it is. Um, we, we talked a lot about the vision and it, ver- it became very evident um, what that vision was based on Eisenman's assessment of the uh, pipeline for the couple months prior, which is that he was done being bad on defense, so he took his swings. Um, yep. There was a lot of preaching about best player available, but I think a theme clearly laid out. Um, with that, Scott, we hope this is the end of your your draft coverage. Uh, you have a vacation coming up. Please, for the love of God, enjoy that. Don't look at any prospects for 2020 quite yet. 
2020 is going to be this year. I'm telling you guys, it's going to be the most fun I've had in my career. I've, I've since that 2015 draft, I haven't been as excited about it. And it's hard to believe that we're five years removed from that, tw- that amazing 2015 draft. But this 2020 draft is uh, with uh, w- uh, for a draft that doesn't have a, a Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby is is about as good of a draft as you can have, given all that. Well, that's one hell of a high note to end on. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. The Ottawa Senators are going to get to draft Alexi Lafreniere in Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Scott, um, that's good because uh, that's a really great excuse for us to buggy more to come on in the future. But until then, enjoy Scotland and uh, until next time. Yep, no sweat, guys. Cheers. All right, welcome back. Um, great to have Scott on again. Thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to having him on again in the future. Um, and really, 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 uh, interested in what he, um, said about the Red Wings draft class, a little bit more, um, objective and thus blunt. And he was talking about that, but I think that's what you have to expect when you're not embedded in Red Wings media, uh, that you're going to get a little bit more of a, um, melancholy view, especially because objectively, it's not really a, a secret or up for debate. Uh, the Red Wings did make a lot of off-the-board picks, which will uh, lower their overall value if you ask to make those kind of declarations. But don't uh, take what Scott said as reasons to feel uh, bad necessarily or great necessarily. Um, drafts are impossible to evaluate definitively. And like Brad said towards the beginning of this episode that we're going to be talking about this all summer, um, we're still evaluating last year's draft. We still haven't seen, you know, Bergeron skate. We still haven't seen uh, what McIsaac can do at the professional level. So to make any definitive claims in one way or the other about the 2019 draft is foolishness. But we're going to try. We're going to try. We're going to try. By the time, as the summer progresses, by the time we get to, I'm going to say mid-August, I'll be lying in bed three in the morning, quiet, and then I'll just pop up like the under table. Robert Master Simone! (laughs) Draft equity, draft equity. We're just going to work down the list, and uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. But let's not forget, Ryan, not counting Patreon-exclusive episodes, this is our last midweek episode till September. Yeah, that's it. This is, uh, we started it off with a lot of hesitation, not knowing how it would go, and turns out we loved it the most. (laughs) We were legitimately planning on six to seven months of two episodes per week, and I think by the time it's all said and done, 10 of the 12 months this year, we have stuck with it. Yeah. Um, so let us know if you want us to keep doing that because it's been a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that love is- it. <laughs> what did I say to you when we were upstairs? I'm like, just so I'm clear, because we're all out of town this weekend. We're not recording our next week's episode till Tuesday, and we're recording the full episode tonight, right? Even though we're posting this, you're like, yes. I'm like, good, because as much fun as I've had this week, I don't want to see you idiots again for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked me the other day, um, a coworker, I think they're like, oh. I was telling him about the podcast because I asked, and then they're like, oh, cool. Like, uh, they asked about how we met and everything, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I get along with them really well. Like, whether we liked it or not, some of my closest friends now. And uh, they're like, oh, so do you guys, like, hang out outside of the podcast? I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean outside? What does that mean outside of the podcast? I I – what? (laughs) We spend six hours a week here doing podcast things total. That's just what we do. Yeah. In in regards to actual recording, the making of an episode, you know, advertising the episode, editing, pumping it, you know, doing stuff on the podcast account on our own accounts. It uh, 
What do you mean, see, hang out with them outside of the podcast? This is a good 32% of my life. I've seen Brad more than my girlfriend some weeks. <laughs> I've seen Brad more than my girlfriend a lot of weeks. Uh, poor Mel. Yeah. Or lucky Mel, depending or, on your, depending on people's opinions of you. You're, she's gonna bring, you're gonna bring that up to her and she's gonna say, oh, lucky. Lucky. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna be going back to just Sunday or Sunday-ish episodes. Next week is a uh, long weekend here where we are, so we'll be recording on Monday or Tuesday. 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 I will not be in the city of Kitchener or Breslau on Monday. And so we will be doing uh, just the weekly episodes leading up until next season. Yeah, our two a weeks will come back when there's the content for it. Which will probably be September, uh, whether it's early September, mid-September, late September, not 100% sure, but it will be September. Yeah. Um, we would go two a week forever if we had the time and energy, but dear God, we need to... I'm not even going to say time and energy. I'm going to say if we had the content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who have been with the podcast uh, quite some time, you'll know that um, content dries up a little bit in the summer. We really stretch it thin. We were talking about like a third pairing defenseman signing for like 2.6 million one year. And you looked at me just like, why are you talking about this? <laughs> and I'm like, it's either this or a chicken on pizza debate. And Which might happen again this summer. That is inevitably going to happen this summer. Yeah, this is the summer is when I noticed not necessarily that we, we've been getting better at not going on these obscure tangents. But as soon as we get into overtime in the summer, all of you, you guys drive nuts. us into the crazy tangents. You guys get absolutely <laughs> nutty. Yeah. And uh, I'm here for it. Oh, absolutely. So development camp started today. Um, it was day one. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday night. So in case anything has happened, forgive us. Yeah. Uh, by the time this actually gets posted 48 hours from now, Ryan Hartman still won't know he's been <laughs> traded. <laughs> traded and then essentially let go by his new team. He lit, His mother confirmed today he still doesn't know. This isn't a joke and sarcasm. He legitimately has turned off his phone and he's in the wilderness for the last 48 hours. That is so he funny. doesn't know. Maybe don't maybe maybe schedule your uh off the grid trips outside of the free agency trade window that tends to happen, you know, every single year of your professional career. Ah, uh, yeah. Poor guy. Dallas is a cool place though. I'm disappointed I didn't see a single Ryan Hartman castaway meme today. <laughs> That's funny. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I don't have the Photoshop skills to do it myself, but nobody did it for me, and I'm just upset now. Mm. Uh, yeah, so development camp. Uh, we didn't see much, but we did see some very generous uh, videos of uh, more Cider. More specifically, they were very favorably showing off his footwork. And for a guy that's already 6'3", 210, he has great footwork. We were talking about it in between uh, after the interview with Scott. More Sider's confusing to me because his, his his skating forwards is – it's very awkward. I'm not going to say it's bad because it's an awkward stride, but he gets where he needs to go pretty quick. But his backward skating is phenomenal. Yeah. Like his – it's short, it's efficient, it's fast, it's powerful, and his lateral movement's good. So I think – I wonder if the – Everybody agrees he's got above average skating, but I wonder if his skating wouldn't be a touch higher if we didn't count <laughs> forward skating. <laughs> I mean, if you make it relative to his size, I think it's great. Oh, relative to his size, his skating is yeah. fantastic. And you have to understand that he's that big, but he's still just going to get stronger, right? And so as guys that big get stronger, they learn how to make their strides more efficient. They can generate more power with their strides. Um, 
there's still a lot to come for him. Again, you know, take the assessment that we gave last episode or whoever's assessment that you trust in mind. We have to be very careful to not overinflate this guy into, you know, a bona fide, sure, no doubt, top pairing defenseman. Uh, I know Rowan is going to be saying German Lidstrom, which <laughs> you're going to see that all over Twitter. Uh, thanks, Rowan. Um, it's, it's important that you we don't ask too much of this kid. The same way I said don't ask too much of Joe Valeno coming up this year. Uh, but there's still so much to be excited about. The shock and all of the pick aside, like, a great player. But we need to talk about the big news that came out of development camp today. Multi-Setkoff still big. Multi-Setkoff is still massive. But do you know who's really big now? Who? Otto Kivan Mackey put on eight kilos over the summer and has now worked his way up to 154 pounds. <laughs> I need to get, I need to like teach these guys how to bulk. <laughs> Just eat, man. Man, eight kilos eight over kilos a year is, is legitimately yeah, yeah. impressive. And he had to do that while playing professional hockey. Yeah, 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 yeah. that That's is quite legitimately impressive. And it's amazing because he's now 154 pounds. <laughs> what is he, 5'6, five, 5'7? Five, <laughs> he's 5'8. Yeah, so he's 5'6, five, 5'7. Hey, I'm 5'8 and I can get, I'm 175, so there's still room to go. So I tell people I'm 5'11, and then I tell people, I joke and say, oh, but I'm actually 5'10. But in reality, I'm 5'9 and three quarters. So I'm, I understand how the game goes. Oh, if we get to do that, I'm 5'8 and a half. <laughs> you can have that. Yeah. Legitim- I've been measured uh, as part of my job requirements at the gym, flat wall with socks, 5'8 and a half. I'm putting Evan under six feet because I'm spiteful. <laughs> what do you think Evan is? 6'1? Six two. I don't know. If you take out the hair. He's so annoyingly handsome. <laughs> Isn't it so stupidly annoying? I hate that guy. He's Shea Weber. You're like, how do you just walk through life just kind of like mumbling and showing up when you want and then doing what you want? I'm like, oh, you're extraordinarily good looking. Is yeah. That what rule, it is? Number one, rule number one in life, be good looking. Rule number two, don't be not good looking. Don't be not good looking. Oh, man. Why did no one tell me this from the start? Oh boy, uh, Otto Kevin Mackey is an, is another one of those uh, really really small guys. When we talk about you, take the home run swing. Yeah, he's 2018 Kirill Tuchev. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, and you know what? He had a fantastic year. We talked about him a little bit throughout the year, but he ended up playing uh, professional men's hockey in Finland. He, he started playing professional men's hockey in Finland. Had a very rocky start. Went down to juniors torched the Finnish Junior League. I think it was a point and a half per game, mm-hmm. and then came back up to the Senior League, and then torch the senior league i think he was close to a point per game and his his overall season stats in the men's league don't look good but if you just look at the stats on his recall very very good yeah it was the uh, philip ronick treatment that he got there uh first time up yeah looked good got sent back down torched it came up again and absolutely torched it in the pros yeah um yeah lots to be excited about with that kid um some red wings news they chose to qualify restricted free agents joe hicketts patrick rybar rebar rybar rebar 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 i'm mixing him up with uh guylander that's what's throwing me off and uh dominic turgeon which means they retain their rights as restricted free free agents uh rfas that they did not qualify martin firk dylan sadaway libor shulak and axel holmstrom so uh i believe Shulak and Holmstrom are, are already back in Europe, and they also chose to let go of Firk and Sadaway. That doesn't mean they can't come back to the team, uh, but it means they're UFAs now. Yep, and um, I think the Firk experiment's over. He's not proven to be super valuable on the power play, at least not to the extent we thought he would be. Um, he doesn't really provide a lot at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, were there players I'd put him in the lineup over? Yeah, but 
whatever. Again, this is the Alexei Marchenko all over again. Does he really make an impact? No. Yeah. You know, I so. really was thinking about that on the way in. And, like, we got so worked up about the Marchenkos and the Kindles. And was that just because, you know, we were super were super embedded with the Red Wings? And when the Red Wings are better, you have the – that's what you argue about because the rest of the team is so good? Or is that was – We replaced the Marchenko debates with draft content. Oh, that's why people like the show more now. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, guys, speaking about the show, we are almost at a huge, huge milestone that I don't want to spoil, but it should be coming in the next couple of weeks. And oh, I'm almost upset that's going to happen in July. Yeah, I know. I wish it would have happened for this draft. Um, this draft episode is already, I think, our biggest. We're already at 4,500 views, um, not 48 hours later. Oh, my God. I forgot to check today. Last I saw it was like 2,800 something on Monday. 4,558. Yeah, it's going to be a biggest episode ever. So thank you all so much. And we're creeping up on 200 patrons, which is our next big giveaway. Yeah. Uh, we are going to have the best preseason draft party ever. Oh, yeah. By the way, I was thinking about that. I don't think three hours is going to be enough. I think we're going to have to book it longer. Four. Four. I think, yeah. I think four is going to be the minimum. And we got some cool ideas planned for that. Um, um, and we're actually going to have guests for that. I mean, it's going to be Max, but it still counts. <laughs> <laughs> Max Max had no choice at that point. Yeah, no, Max, Max is helping host at this point. When we, it's to the point now where when we get into town, we're hanging out with Max just as friends. Yeah. See, Max is the, per- Max is the perfect uh, social distance from me in ter- for being friends with a podcast host. Yeah. Do you hang out with Max outside of the podcast? Hell yeah, I hang out with Max outside of the podcast. Do you hang out with Brad outside of the podcast? One day, Brad and, I, Brad and I found out that we were touching some body part for 11 straight hours. There is no outside of the podcast for us. What? Don't don't ask questions. We were just like connected at the elbow for the whole day. That's that's how close proximity we were to each other. Yeah, that's happened a few times. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we have a lot to come later. But even right now, we have a, a draw coming soon for um, podcast swag. And we have another big giveaway that we're going to attach to last Sunday's uh, post-draft review episode. Um, yeah, there's just a lot to come. Anyways, and but we're gonna have we're gonna have at some point this summer a big, not a full episode, but like a state of the podcast thing, like where we're gonna run ideas past the listeners, just kind of let them know in more detail some of these things that we have going on, right? And then kind of just kind of let you inside our minds to our game plan because hey. You guys built this podcast. We should let you know what's going on. Spoiler that we're folding. See everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we reached the top. There's nowhere else to go. We, See you later. What top have we reached, Ryan? Top Red Wings podcast. Look at where we are. We are in a basement. We reached the top of Brad's basement. Hey, we might even be out of here sometime soon. Ideally. Ideally. Um, other hockey content, other Red Wings news. Um, Philip Zadina strained a hamstring. And so he might not even skate this week at development camp, which is annoying. Eh. Jonathan Berggren uh, isn't really healthy enough to be participating fully, but he has been skating just so he has the feel of it. Uh, Jonathan Berggren, let's chat about him for a minute because he is, of last year's prospects, the most disappointing. And that's not because he's been a disappointing prospect. Um, It's because of the back injury that he suffered, which took him out for essentially a whole season. Um, he was a guy where you heard Scott mention uh, the Red Wings selected him in the second round, and he really was a kind of a steal where he was taken. He was one of four first round talents that they got with their first four picks. Um, 
is a guy in the system where if you're talking about players who weren't taken within the top 15 but could end up being really good top six players, Jonathan Bergeron's there. So I, I'm excited for him to to get healthy so we can see kind of what he can display. And then nervously, you don't want to see too much of a hamper in terms of his development in these years. But if it takes him another year or an extra eight months, then uh, that kind of is what it is. Agreed. That's the first. That's a very Evan move of you. Yeah, I really didn't have a valid point to make after that that you hadn't already. Uh, Jonathan, good, hope, okay. Better? <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> no, I'm not looking for much. Um, <laughs> and I didn't give you much, so there we go. So because our next episode will be after Free Agent Frenzy on July 1st, uh, we are going to do a little bit of a preview of the free agents that are available. Um, what to expect, maybe some contract uh, predictions or ranges i'm more so interested in where they're gonna end up yeah and then maybe we'll talk about how this uh attaches to the red wings spoiler so so first let's go over which of the pending unrestricted free agents should the red wings sign none moving on (laughs) that was a great list evan thank you for rattling that off for us oh and evan's gone again see you later (laughs) all right you got a UFA list in front of you? Uh, no, but I'm pulling it up now. But start with it. Up. Start with the obvious one. Start with Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne. He's going to Nashville. Next. Brad, I'm trying to pull up the list. <laughs> then don't start me with Matt Duchesne. Uh, well, that might look- be the most obvious of all of them. They traded BK Subban for him. Well, then let's talk about um, the, the two biggest ones, Bobrovsky and Panarin. We'll start with uh, Panarin, actually. So there's been an interesting dark horse that's come out Um Actually, a friend of mine sent me a DM asking if there was anything to it uh, about 48 hours ago. And I said, I've not heard anything, so I'm going to say no. But then the Soderbergh trade came down today, and then it's all of a sudden Panarin's meeting with Col- – uh, supposedly going to be meeting with Colorado, and they have a ton of cap space now. Oh, boy, that would be a major coup if Colorado, the team on the rise more than any other in the NHL, lands arguably the top free agent. After walking away from the first round with Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook. Man. That, Boy, I'm happy Detroit's in the East now. Yeah. You know, we look at a lot of teams who make these good moves and we say, oh, that team's going to be scary. That team's going to be good. And I guess an okay example of that's New York. I would predict, predict that the rebuild is legitimately going well, but you're like, oh, they actually haven't done anything yet. So you can't get too caught up in that. Colorado's going to win a cup soon, right? Uh, I I never want to make that prediction because I am not sold on their goaltending yet. Um, Grubauer had a great year, but that's just one. Um, I would bet on him having another good year, but it's not enough for me to say, yeah, this is how they're going to win a cup. Um, but in regards to Panarin, I'm not counting out either of the New York teams. I think the Islanders are going to make a pitch. I think the Rangers are going to make a pitch. My betting money's still on Florida. Florida, the connection is just too strong there with Joel Quenville. Um, who's the Russian on that team that he knows? Evgeny Dodonov. Yeah. Uh, and he played with Dodonov or Dadonov? Depends on who you talk to. <laughs> uh, yeah, that it's just such a strong connection. And you know he likes the life there. He, the lifestyle in Columbus wasn't quite for him. Um, really impressed with the divorce from that team, actually, from Panarin and Bobrovsky, just as an aside. Like, that was handled all, I don't want to say well, but... You know, by Panarin, Bobrovsky had a few incidents. Right? Yeah. You know what? I forgot about that—the whole Instagram post and everything, and the whole being benched a game and leaving a game in the middle of it. I don't. I take it back. All right, I was wrong. I'll admit it. Yep. Panarin, Panarin handled it as good as possibly can be. Um, 
speaking of Colorado, tinfoil hat, this cap, that trade didn't really align with a lot of different things, unless you consider A, Panarin, or B, offer sheet. Uh, I don't see Colorado offer sheeting anybody because they're one of the teams at the biggest risk of an offer sheet. With Miko Rantanen. Exactly. I think they're going to lock up Miko Rantanen just fine. I still can't get over how many RFAs are unsigned. I think they're all waiting on the Marner domino to fall because he's going to set the highest bar. Which and is that- ridiculous because if you look at the numbers, Marner should come in behind Rantanen Aho. Oh, no. no. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's I, a I, lot I, of I, solid numbers that, that show that Rantanen and Aho should be making. Man, Braden Point should be making more. That You can show me the numbers. I don't think I would. I'm pretty flexible in my opinions, but I don't see a world in which Rantanen and Aho are more valuable than Marner. Really? Yeah, quite legitimately. I'd hear a case for point because he's a centerman. He's put up, had a huge year, et cetera, et cetera. Look at the talent but, around but them. Man, Mitch Marner to me is the best of all of them. I love Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner is one of my favorite non-Red Wings. I yeah, love I watching that kid play. But do you not think that Rantanen and Aho and even point get lost because of the markets that they're in, and no, because Rantanen definitely. With does. how deep we are into hockey media, we're I'm following multiple accounts from every team at this point, and everything gets retweeted and shared. No, there's no secrets in the NHL anymore. I to the casual fan who's not who doesn't listen to podcasts and watches a bunch of games. Yeah, these guys are secrets. But to anybody who uses hockey Twitter or listens to podcasts, you're well aware of who these guys are. If you're not, you're just not paying attention. I, Marner's the best of them to me, and out of the four, actually, Rantanen would be my number four. So I can't. I, I, I couldn't pick an order for you right now, but I would definitely disagree with that. Who do you have Rantanen ahead of though? I like Aho has been carrying Carolina's offense. Braden Point might have had the single best season out of all of them, and then Marner is, I think, the youngest of all of them, and had just shy of a hundred points. I can't remember who it was. I think Evolving Hockey did contract um, predict or like contract I values. Think it was Matt Kane did that. Oh, but he might have got hired by New Jersey, so he might. Not he be did, doing, yeah. So he uh, might not be doing it anymore. Um, I uh, did you see Aho's valuation should technically come in closer to nine point five or even ten million over eight years. Um, did you see what their initial offer to him was? Six million per year. Six million dollars. They gave. They offered him six. No. Always start low, but don't insult the guy. Don't insult him. Uh, if anybody's getting an offer sheet now, it's Aho. Don't be that stupid. You just can't be. Because there's a way to construct those offer sheets because those thresholds ri- like rose. Someone can offer sheet uh, Aho 10 million plus over five years and not give up four first round picks. It would be the one right underneath, which is what? A f- two first, a second, and a third? Yeah. Or first, second, and third. And if I'm a contending team and my first are going to be in the latter half of the first round, oh, I'm doing that a hundred out of a hundred times. All right. Tinfoil hat. I'm not doing it if I'm Detroit. Toronto lets Mitch Marner get offer sheeted for four firsts. Then they offer sheet for Aho. <laughs> 40 chess. That would be the biggest flex from Kyle Dubas. And then Carolina matches and Carolina and uh, Toronto ends up with nobody. Yeah. You know what? The RFA situations, you're right. I, 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 I still, I, my prediction still stands. We're not going to see any of the big guys get an RF, uh, offer sheet. I don't think there's going to be an offer sheet this year. Which is, I mean, from if you like chaos and these aren't your team's players, 
That sucks. Yeah. If there's every, these are four superstars. Legitimately yeah. four superstars. This is the summer to offer sheet people, but it's not happening because again, we're a bad team. We need superstars. I'm not giving up four first rounders for Mitch Marner, no matter how much I love Mitch Marner, no. because that might be Alexi Lafreniere yeah. or Lucas Raymond or whoever. Um, Eric Carlson was a big UFA that signed before July 1st, so he officially hates fun. Uh, his contract, we'd already talked about that. People fall on either side of that coin. Matt Duchesne is most likely going back to uh, Nashville. He will come at a pricey tag, though. He's yeah. going to come in at $9 million plus, and he's past his best years and probably not producing at a $9 million plus range. No, he, I, I love the player, but I can't shake the gut feeling he's going to be this offseason's biggest mistake. Yeah, I don't love that that projection. And let's not forget, Nashville's other two top two centers right now are both on pretty bad contracts in Ryan Johansson and Kyle Turris. I think uh, Dom Lutician uh, wrote a great article for The Athletic using uh, – I got to find the resource that he uses. Um, the projection – the projected contract for Duchesne, like in terms of – oh, Evolving Hockey. The projected con- contract based on production is $6.8 million times six years. And he's going to get nine. He's going to get nine. Uh, speaking of Panarin, 11.2 by eight. So Sounds about right. Yeah. I want to talk about his production. Yep. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about one that we haven't brought up before. Joe Pavelski is probably on the move because San Jose is going to need to do something. I still feel like something's going to get done with San Jose. That's one of those ones like it just doesn't make sense to not happen. But then again, we've seen Mike Madonna and Daniel Alfredson as Red Wings, so I'm not ever going to count anything out. I for what I've seen outside of San Jose, as I've heard from a few sources now, Chicago and Minnesota are kicking a lot of tires on that one. Which for Chicago makes a ton of sense. For Minnesota makes absolutely no sense. Now, here's the thing. He uh, he is a second grizzled veteran if he leaves to leave San Jose. Patrick Marlowe got a three-year, $6 million contract. He's going to earn more than that wherever he goes. He's 35 years old, but he still produces a ton of high-quality scoring chances. He's, he is 35 right now. Yeah. Because that's very relevant because that puts in his, his contract into a whole nother tier. Yeah, it puts him in a different tier. So there's no buyout buy. option. There's no cap relief. That's your cap hit for the entirety of his contract. Yeah. Um, I think Dom has him at uh, closer to seven and a half mil. Yeah, I mean, he scored, years. what, 38 goals this year? Yeah, he's not... He's not. He's no chump. Scored thirty-eight so, goals. Um, his expected goals was really high relative to his team. He's a goal scorer that still drives the play, still generates a lot of high-quality scoring chances for him and others around him. And it's. I can't wrap my head around why Minnesota would be involved. They're supposed to be entering a rebuild now. And when does Minnesota ever enter a rebuild? I've heard them uh, attached to uh, Anders Lee as well, who I think is my second candidate behind Matt Duchesne to have the biggest mistake contract this summer. 29 years old. Really good producer. He didn't score 40 goals again, but he doubled back on his defensive game and still managed to put up 28 goals. Uh, His 40-goal season, he was a liability in his defensive zone, and this year he's he's probably one of the more complete players on the So basically what you're saying is he's a good 30-goal scorer. Yeah. That's going to go for a At 29 years old. Yeah, someone's going to give him seven years, and they're going to give him closer to seven million dollars. Yeah, and that's, that's going to be a mistake. It's probably not going to be Lou Lamorello because he's in- more interested in paying Leo Komarov for two different teams. Uh, well, Lamorello's got to get the Robin Leonard thing figured out too, as well. Well, oh. so here's the drama: the Islanders are talking about loyalty. Tavares left. Anders Lee is now testing the market because he's not. I mean, he's getting lowballed. Where is the outrage? Is the outrage going to hold? They might as well just not name a captain. 
Also, Anders Lee is the one who was preaching about loyalty, so let's talk about that. And I'm, I always advocate for the player. Go get your money. Get the be- the best you can. You get underpaid during your RFA years, the way the cap's set up. But all that drama has to come back and has to wear itself now, right? It won't because it's not, none of these players are going to sign in Toronto and none of these players are John Tavares. No. No. Uh, so here's yeah. – here's I want to talk about one more – for agent specifically because of some uh, report that came out today. And then we'll just rapid fire some predictions after this. Okay. Mm-hmm. There was a report that at the draft, there was a GM who was attempting to make a trade with Carolina for Peter Morazic's negotiating rights. Really? Yeah. Here's where it gets fun. The, the GM that was trying to do that was Ken Holland. Shut up. Shut your stupid mouth. No way. I have not heard a thing about that. You keep talking and your thoughts on that, and I'm going to pull it up. Ken Holland, who is... For those of you who don't know, and for those of you who care to be reminded, Peter Mrazek's exit from Detroit was very, very ugly, especially by way of Red Wing standards. Um, He was essentially alienated by the team. Um, was exposed in the expansion draft, Was had his starter spot taken away, was publicly, through different channels, um, basically dragged, and essentially pushed out before being traded to Philadelphia for, what was it, a third-round pick or a fourth and a conditional, something like that. It was a couple picks. Um, this was a guy full, chock full of actual raw talent. He almost stole a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning when Detroit played them in the first round. Uh, he was a phenomenal goalie with a ton of skill. Sometimes lost it. Sometimes would uh, get it in his own head, as goalies do, and never really held that starting position in Detroit. Um, but they essentially dealt a guy that could have been the future of their team. There are some people uh, between the pipes, and there are some people who say that he should have been, and they should have given him a little bit more sport, uh, support, especially mentally. Um myself included. I'm not sure where I stand on that now. I haven't thought about it for some time, but to imply that Ken Holland would be the one to try and bring that relationship back together is batty to me. So I was looking it up. So the source was the sporting news. So not one of the bigger sources out there. So take it with a grain of salt, but yeah, Mrazing makes a ton of sense for Edmonton though. Oh, absolutely. But could you imagine? You know, Mike Smith's probably going to go there, right? Like, it's not going to be anything fun. It's going to be Mike Smith going to go. He's going to have half a good season, half a bad season, and we're all going to argue about Mike Smith for the rest of time. Cool. That's truly what hockey is, just arguing about Mike Smith. All right, Ryan, pull up a list of 10 more UFAs that we haven't, and we'll just rapid-fire some predictions and see how many we nail. Matt Zuccarello. Colorado. I think think Dallas finds the money. Okay. They're about a million apart right now. Gustav Nyquist. Vancouver. Vancouver as well. I do agree about Vancouver. Uh, Michael Furland. Ooh. Boston. All right. I can dig that. I think Carolina still has an outside shot, but I think it has to come after the Ajo signing, which might not happen in time. Uh, Ryan Dezingle. Oh, boy. I don't have any read on him at all. Eh. Team with depth scoring that has depth scoring issues won't cost a but will be enough to keep cap strap teams out of the bidding in all likelihood. Edmonton. Oh, coming back to Furland, Custance uh, reported that uh, he likely, by all rights, wasn't going to go back to the Hurricanes. So there's that gone. 
Um, hmm. What else do we have here? Marcus Johansson. Stays in Boston. I think that it, uh, that's poised to be the biggest, maybe one of the biggest mistake contracts. He's one bad concussion away. That's true. But injuries, LTIR. Did you see the uh, Sanheim re-signing with the Flyers? Yeah, that was a really good contract. Fantastic contract. Kind of bizarre what they've been doing. I think William Carlson at 5.9 a year in Vegas was also an excellent deal. Yep. Uh, hmm, what else do we have here? Let's scroll down a little bit. Justin Williams, if he comes back. Carolina. Richard Panic. That's boring. Wayne Simmons. Montreal. Okay. For too much money. Oh, of course. Eunice Donskoy. Brad. Do I? Yeah. Detroit. Uh, this is one of the premier ones that we haven't talked about yet on defense. Jake Gardner will be a very interesting guy. You want to hear my really bold prediction on that one? Mm-hmm. Toronto. I think it makes sense. They move Marlowe. And I think they're going to probably move another contract still. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of very credible chatter about one of Janssen or Kapanen possibly being moved before they extended either. And I don't think Dubas ever wanted to do that, but I think he very strongly considered it. Don't forget, Zaitsev still already got one foot out the door. Zaitsev has one foot out the door. They're looking to move the Sparks contract. And we're not and talking- Connor Brown. I yeah. think I think they I don't see them doing anything else, but I see Marner and Gardner returning. By how much does Vancouver pay Tyler Myers? <laughs> I was gonna say he's going to Vancouver <laughs> based on everything I read today. He's going to get badly overpaid, and I really like Tyler Myers, so it's a shame that he's going to have one of those contracts that everybody... People are talking seven years, at least $6 million, even $7 million a year. It's b- brutal. Tyler Myers played at a third-pairing level last year, I think. I would give him more credit than that. He's a good second-pairing defenseman, but you don't pay a second-pairing defenseman over $5 million, if we're being honest. No, no. Unless they're really, truly driving play on the second-pairing. Anton Strawman. 33 years old. Reunion with the Rangers. And uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. Florida. You don't think Panarin to the Rangers has any credibility? I think he's got a lot of credibility. I don't know. I, I, I think that's a very exciting place to be. You look at all the moves that they've made. It's a very attractive place to live. If you had to pick a place in the NHL that's more attractive than Florida, New York's probably the only non-warm place that could do it. I don't know. I'd be excited to play with Capacaco. Oh, if the Rangers get Panarin, my God. That rebuild's basically done. Um, I still can't stop thinking about that P.K. Subban trade. <laughs> it, <laughs> like it's, it, it was interesting that... Um, so, I, I believe it was Friedman was talking about how there were four teams who were all on it, but New Jersey was the only team who had the ability to take on the full contracts. I think they said Vancouver was one of the teams on them, but they couldn't take it. And I c- cannot remember who the other two teams were for the life of me. Um, speaking of taking on contracts, uh, it came out that Ryan Callahan has a degenerative disease uh, affecting his back and will never play professional well, hockey at least again. that's At least that's more plausible than being allergic to your equipment. That was a very real one. I know, but Ryan, at the time it was I know. very, yeah, that was very suspect. Um, the, the Callahan... For those of you who are saying, oh, he's, they're just going to LTIR him, and that's great. Well, not necessarily. Um, LTIR is still a hindrance to your team. You don't want those contracts in LTIR. It's better if they're just not on your team at all. So I wonder if he's still in the conversation like David Clarkson is as a contract that could be moved. Oh, someone pointed out to us um, that 
Clarkson would pick where he gets traded to because of the taxes wherever he is. I saw that. That yeah. was a good call. That's a very good point. Thank you. I don't. I didn't catch the name. I didn't note it down, but uh, I'll try to find it later. Um, yeah, those will be uh, interesting ones. I'm really disappointed that Detroit didn't jump on the Marner deal. Or sorry, Marner. <laughs> uh, the Marlow deal. Um, I would like to see Detroit utilize their cap space instead of for a holdover free agent like they've done in the past. Uh, an asset that would come with a sweetener. I don't know, man. An extra first round pick in 2020. You heard how Scott was talking about 2020. I was pissed that it wasn't Detroit. Um, hopefully, hopefully they take a run out of Callahan or hell, even a Clarkson. I don't care. Yeah. Okay, well, no, actually, no. Detroit can't because they already have two LTIRs. Damn it. So because this was a uh, time travel episode, we won't be having an overtime for this episode. Uh, don't worry. We're still going to be doing our monthly patron episodes. We know we still owe you one for June. That'll just be a little bit delayed. So you'll probably get two of those in July or something like that. Um, guys, we'll record them back to back. Two different topics. Honestly. Um, thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for following along with draft coverage. Um, it really has been a blast for us this is the most embedded we've ever been in it and it's the most fun we've ever had and we're only looking to scale that up obviously we've already made our plans for montreal in 2020 but even before that we have lots planned for you uh in the upcoming weeks or in the upcoming days there's gonna be a major giveaway for the uh uh, post-draft episode it'll be attached to a tweet from there um and for all patrons uh we won't be posting about giveaways right on patreon because we get into a little bit of trouble for that but we're still running giveaways uh we'll message you if you win anything um any giveaways that happen patrons also get something equivalent and there's also patreon exclusive giveaways for all of our supporters um keep an eye out for that keep an eye out for meetup uh meetup details keep an eye out for uh everything Follow us, listen to the lady, um, do our outro. But before we go, I want to thank all of our name level sponsors through Patreon. Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Don Mitchell, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, uh, Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, and Hannah Lee. That's it. I think this is, as much as we have seasons, the end of our season. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.